Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Ryan Wright. How are you doing, man? Fantastic. Yeah, so I appreciate you sitting down with us. Um, I'm not even going to try to be the best host in the world and try to introduce you. Why don't you take a second to kind of briefly tell everybody what it is that you do in the real estate world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, uh, I'm pretty passionate about real estate as a whole. Uh, do quite a bit in the single family, up to fourplex type stuff. Um, I think it's overlooked as an investment strategy um, as a whole. And so I've been a real estate agent. I've been a, a lender for uh, first time home buyers as a traditional lender, hard money lender. We do software, we do uh, training and um, coaching and those types of things. So I've, I've really done it all from short sales to flipping to lending to uh, developing software. Uh, you name it. So that's about me. <laughs> Man, you've done uh, a little bit of everything there. So uh, I, real quick, because I, I know you have a ton of information and content that you can bring here. But I always want to ask people, you know, where did you get your start in real estate? So briefly tell us kind of your history on what you started with and, and what you're currently doing today. You know, I probably started with the most valuable thing you could ever, ever have. And that was uh, um, a mom and dad that believed that anything was possible if you put your head down and you're really willing to work hard. Uh, my grandfather uh, was an HVAC contractor uh, back before the shows, before it was popular, before people were flipping. Um, he'd buy a property, maybe move into it, fix it up, sell it two years later, and, you know, tax-free. He'd, you know, buy something on the side, fix it up. And so he was always tinkering with uh, real estate, not, not you know, big-time operator type thing, but just doing some deals, you know, doing some deals, do a deal every couple of years or every other year or whatever the case is. And so that got my dad into buying um, actually plexes, three-plex, four-plex. So I grew up in the summers, you know, fixing up properties and doing that type of stuff. And uh, I think that's really, uh, I knew real estate is where money was made. Um, and uh, that kind of took me into deciding to become a real estate agent to begin with. And that kind of led me to helping other people invest, helping myself invest, you know, long-term flipping, you know, the, the road, the journey started there though. Gotcha. And then right now, what would you consider your full-time gig today? Um, most of what we're doing is helping people get started in real estate investing by providing tools, resources, software, uh, training, and capital for them to be successful. Um, we help anywhere from an aspiring uh, real estate entrepreneur to somebody that's looking to scale as a real estate entrepreneur, um, helping plug the holes with whatever systems they're lacking, uh, software they're lacking, tools, uh, information, and capital. All right. So you've mentioned already just here in the first couple of minutes that one of the things that you're most passionate about is helping people get started in real estate investing. So let's talk about that. What, what, what tips or tricks or information can you give to our listeners on the best ways to get started in this? 
Yeah, I mean, people think I'm crazy. Some of my buddies that uh, are in similar fields, because like doing your first deal is the, the absolute hardest thing to do. It really is. Your second deal is easier. Your third deal is even easier. Your 10th, your 20th. I mean, they're never like easy, easy, but they, you get this compounding effect. It's a snowball going down the hill. But getting that first little snowball going, um, I think the biggest tip I can give is don't give up. Um, I find so many people, they're out there, the first opportunity that something goes wrong, they just give up. Um, and I think a lot of that just comes down to some lifestyle choices of just like, that's kind of part of, they, they constantly give up when something gets hard. So you got to be able to do hard things. So number one, don't give up. And number two, which kind of goes along with number one, is have a, a commitment to see it through to the end. Um, you know, their story after story, you know, Acres of Diamonds is a really popular one of the, you know, guy gets really close and he goes all over the world to find diamonds and they were in his backyard that he sold his property for. Um, you're like, you're so close and people give up on the 10 yard line or the five yard line and don't punch it in and, you know, make it happen. So I think a lot of uh, change the mind and the money will follow is the thing that we keep saying around here. You know, it's usually a mindset problem. Um, it's usually not a resources or capital problem. Those things usually come when the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears type of idea. So, I mean, I mean, that's kind of my soapbox from a, a mental state. Yeah. And in the, the other analogy that I use with people is, you know, on your first one, don't give up. That's like giving up the first time you ever were thrown in, you know, a pool of water and you couldn't swim. You know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into this from a, from a, if you try to simplify it, flipping a house sounds really simple. You know I mean? It's like you're buying low, you're fixing it up and then you're going to sell it high. But then when you get down to all of the moving parts that are involved in flipping a house, there's a lot of education that goes into it. There's training that's needed and having mentors out there that can hold your hand and show you how to do this the right way is very important. And, and so you've talked about, you know, you offer training and, and you try to get people to, to, you know, show them the right way to get started in real estate investing. What are some of those? Is that a program that you have or how do you do that for people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have we have some software we use. We have some programs that we use. Some you know video training, some support, those different types of things that we we do. It really comes down to understanding where someone's at and where they want to go, and then what we can offer to help them along that way. So we have what we call the ten step program. Um, you know, and it starts with learn, and um, and then once you're there, then it's you're making offers, and then from there you're um, making sure you know how to do rehab. Uh, you know. So that's kind of the 10 steps we like to take people through with the last step being, you know, profit, having a profitable deal and reselling the property. Um, but taking somebody through those is, is really important. I mean, occasionally we'll have somebody that um, will come in and feel like they know everything and try and skip a few steps and then things turn into a problem because there's so many things that can go wrong in real estate. I mean, I learn things every day. We had something happen. I've been doing this for 20 years. We had something happen the other day that was like, I've never seen that happen before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so you just, that doesn't happen very often. You know, when we have a right. day like that, it's like, oh, wow, I've never seen that. Um, you know, or we're talking to the attorneys and they're like, 
we've never ran into this before. And it's like, okay, well, so it's impossible for me to sit someone down and say, here's the 8,000 things that can go wrong in a real estate flip. But what I can do is say, here's some parameters. And if you live within these, you're going to have the highest degree of success with the least amount of risk. And that's what we're always trying to say is for us, it's the sweet spot of where can I make the most amount of money with the least amount of effort and the least amount of risk. Like that's really what we're looking to do. And there's thousands of ways to make money in real estate. Everybody's got a different strategy. And some people use the same strategy, but there's lots of strategies to make money in real estate. And so we're trying to find the one that we think is the, the highest profit with the least amount of risk that is the easiest for someone to get started doing. Yeah. You know, you bring up that you've been doing this for 20 years and, and you know, something new just happened that had never happened before. Last yesterday, uh, one of my acquisition guys says, Hey, sellers accepted our offer. I'm going to meet with them at 4 p.m. Awesome. Nothing abnormal about this. It's just a, you know, everybody high fives and we move on about our day, right? Yeah. And at 10 p.m., uh, he calls me. So this is six hours after the scheduled appointment. And he's like, okay, man, that was an experience. And I'm like, are you just now leaving? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> what happened? And he was like, well, first the guy was late. And so he got moved back a couple of hours. I was like, okay. And he's like, but second, we didn't meet at the house. Um, we met at an underground poker uh, game <laughs> and it was in like a hidden room behind a business where there was like totally the bodyguards and like the Whoa. girl bikinis, like serving drinks <laughs> and offering massages. And, and he was like, I didn't know what to do. But I sat there and, you know, they, and it's funny, this guy wears like the cowboy hat and he's like super tall and he wears all black. Like, I, I guess this is a thing about titanium. We all wear all black. And, uh, <laughs> and so they were like not convinced that this guy was not a cop. And uh, <laughs> it, it was so funny because he said eventually once they kind of realized like this guy literally is just here to buy houses, another guy was like, hey, come to my game tomorrow night. I've got some houses that I want to sell to you. We can talk about it while I'm playing in my game tomorrow night. So he's like, I think I found a new marketing strategy. It's in the underground <laughs> poker world. So, it just, Well, did it, he get the deal? Did he, he got the, the contract. Yeah, okay. he got it. Yeah, so it, it, that's exactly what I asked him. I was like, so after committing these illegal activities, um, did you get the contract? And he's like, yeah, we got the contract. So, but you know what, man, you never know what's going to happen in this, in this industry. That's not very common. Those kind of things happen, but you know, it, sometimes it's on the acquisition side. Sometimes it's while you're flipping the house. Sometimes it's when you're selling the house, you never know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah. I've, I've heard you say before that flipping a house is simple, but not easy. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, we've kind of alluded to it, but the idea is today it's so glorified. Um, you know, you can turn on a TV station when you get home from work, uh, you know, grab a little something to eat. By the time you're done with dinner, they've already found the property. Flip. Well, they already found the property before the show started. Right. The property's already rehabbed in 12 minutes. And by the time you have a scoop of, you know, mint ice cream, uh, you know, chocolate chip ice cream, you're scooping that down and it, they've already made $50,000 and they use funny math. We bought it for a hundred. We put 20 into it um, and we sold it for 170. So we made $50,000. And so it's not even real math because it doesn't give you any expenses that go into this holding costs or snow removal or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and you know, so basics, you think, oh, wow. like water and electricity too. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or insurance, hazard insurance. Right. I mean, a vacant dwelling hazard insurance, that's expensive. So, you know, so then that and then it's like, and it's all over. And that happens in 12 minutes and 32 seconds. And uh, it's like, wow, that seems really, really, uh, really simple. But it's not easy because uh, the devil's in the details. The, the, most, the most difficult thing of that entire equation is finding a good deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that would take more than the shows put together could ever find. I mean, I think it uh, somehow the phone rings. And it's like, oh yeah, they want to sell me the house, and you know, thirty seconds later, you know, they're in there doing construction on the house, and it doesn't show getting contractors' bids. It doesn't show managing the contractors. I mean, it shows a little bit of drama. You know, something went wrong. Oh no! Oh great! You know, Bill's gonna go fix it, and it's done. Right. Um, those types of, those types of dramas become very real when it's your money, your property finding it so it's uh it, it takes work well and here's the other thing about those shows and and this this could be an interesting conversation because you previously were a real estate agent and absolutely and i personally believe and in those shows they they talk about you know hey realtor susie just called me and she's got this great deal on the other side of town we're gonna go look at it um as a real estate investor that does volume that is not how we find deals. Very rarely do we get deals from a realtor. Um, yeah, there's hip pockets. There's times where it's like, hey, this you know, client called me and their house is distressed. RJ, I think it's a good fit. But we're, yeah. we're very rarely buying off the MLS. More often than not, we have to do direct-to-seller marketing and get deals. And so as, as a former realtor, what are your thoughts about realtors converting to become investors and or also I want you to touch base on investors getting how they, the best way they can get deals aside from realtors? Yeah, let me tackle the second one. Then let's get back to the first one. Don't let me forget it. But um, finding deals from real estate agents, I think is the worst strategy for an investor. Um, we have new investors that come in every day. It's like, how are you going to find properties? Oh, my agent's going to find them. 99% of the time that doesn't work out. And it's not because the agent's a bad person. It's because it's a bad strategy. If you think about it, where you want to buy things is where there's the least amount of competition. Competition drives up price. So if you took you know, some little widget and you put it out there and showed it to 50 million people, and you asked everyone to bid on it, that price is gonna go up. But if we have that same little widget and I've got it at the corner store that nobody knows about and I walk down there, the price is gonna be a lot lower. It's a supply and demand issue. So anything that's a listed property has so many eyeballs on it, the price is automatically gonna inflate up. It just is going to. Now there's places in the country where you can find things off the MLS, but you've gotta make a ton of offers. You've gotta look at a lot of properties, that type of stuff. But there's there's some places in the United States where there are two markets. There's a wholesale and a retail market. And you can buy in the wholesale and sell in the retail, but you still, you're still going to overpay in most cases. Um, and you're still going to have to make lots of offers. And so I think relying on an agent is like, um, is delegating your financial success or delegating your real estate investing success to someone else. And if the real estate agent's that good at doing it, then they're going to keep it themselves. And that's what you're going to see quite a bit of time. Uh, Dude, so was, I think that was quite a strategy. One of the top five best quotes ever on the podcast, right? <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm like, hold on. We're just going to pause everything. I don't care about the video. Let me write this down. That was some epic stuff right there. Delegating your success to someone else. I love that. 
<laughs> Thanks, RJ. Yeah, it, it's a, you don't want to do that. Right. And, and, and here's the other thing about it is I don't want to undermine realtors. They're very important to an investor's success. It's just not in this aspect, not finding the deals. That's, that's our job to go find the deals. But we do that's need right. them for helping us to run numbers, run comps. If you don't have that access yourself, at some point in time, you do get to the level where you can do those things yourself. There's now more and more programs out there that have nationwide MLS access. But somebody has to go out and list this property and sell it. And so having a good realtor on your team is important at some level, just not what we're talking about right now, which is the acquisition phase. That I very rarely have seen a realtor really impact that part of the business. Um, more often than not, it's going to be, like you said, an acquisitions person with direct-to-seller marketing or, some, or if you are going on the MLS, which we used to do a couple of years ago, we had to make a ton of offers to get That's a good, right. you know, I mean, just a That's massive right. amount. And so that realtor basically had to be full-time just writing offers for us all day, yeah. every day. And yep. so it, it, well, it was a failed strategy from the, from the get-go. Uh, but like you said, there are some markets, like we're in Hawaii and Alaska, we can go buy deals off the MLS there uh, because there's not as much competition, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. But again, that gets harder and harder. And if it's a really good deal, well, yeah, it, we're not going to be able to get it. We're not going to get it at the price that we want. And so every, it doesn't really matter where you are. This is not, it, like you said, it's the worst strategy to get deals. Well, so. and I think a lot of people give up for that. I mean, so here's what happens. A new invent, somebody wants to get started. Their strategy is to find an agent. They make a couple offers with the agent. It either doesn't go, they don't get the property. So they give up back to what we talked about earlier, or their agent tries to convince them um, that it really is a good deal when the margin really isn't there. We get independent values. The values come back less than the agent thinks, and then they're either mad at us or because their agents, the, their hairdresser, and you know they felt like that they, they were right and we were wrong, even though we've got independent values. We've got an appraisal that says it's only worth 200 when it's fixed up, but they think it's worth 300. And it's like, well, this, so you get in a problem. So you start giving up early. Whereas if you have less competition, you find a way to go and find those properties off market properties and find properties that are in need of repairs. That's the other thing I'd say. Lots of people are going after properties that are in decent condition and it's hard to add value to a property that's in good condition. So if you're making offers on properties that are on the MLS, they're in move and ready FHA condition, you're going to have a hard time creating margin because we have to create value. As a real estate investor, we've got to create value. And the way we do that is we take some raw materials, a house that's in bad condition, we add better materials to that and the end result increases the overall value. And I've taken on risk and I've added value and I've increased the value of the property. That's really what I've done. That's, that's why I'm getting paid. And, and here's the other thing about that. I completely agree with what you just said. I think at some point in time, as an investor, though, we can almost change our mindset from I no longer am taking, I'm no longer adding value by fixing and rehabbing the property, but I am adding value because I am solving a seller's problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am absolutely. coming in and I'm solving your financial distress and maybe the property is not that distressed. Those are my favorite deals right there. Yeah. Like I'm solving point. your financial problem and I'm, I'm going to take over this property and that's where wholetailing or even just flat out, you know, a quick, easy rehab comes in 
Um, my buddy Donovan Ruffin, who's uh, here in Fort Worth, he posted a, a just a absolutely amazing post on Facebook this past week, where he talked about as investors, we we set this criteria where we have certain margins that we want to hit, and he talked about how he got to the point where it was like, if I can go out and I can make a quick twenty to twenty five thousand dollars flipping a house, even though it might not hit a 70, 75, 80% of ARV minus repairs, which is what everybody's like got in their head. He's like, I went out and made $25,000. And I just went and did that a hundred times that year. Yeah. Think about how much money I made, you know? And it's all going back to that mindset of so often we're taught that, you know, we're supposed to go in and find the ugly house, right? Like we buy ugly houses, not necessarily. And like you said, there's two different ways that you can look at this. And, and both of them are absolutely correct. We're solving, you know, a distressed property or we're solving a distressed individual. And I'll be honest with you, uh, the distressed individuals give you a lot of more gratification at the, at the closing table than that distressed property does. So, uh, yeah, yeah, RJ, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I did a deal just uh, last year. A guy was going into the, it was, it was a guy that lived in the house. His health had declined. They needed to put him into a home. They didn't have the money to do that, but he had money tied up in his house. They needed the cash quick because he needed to get moved into a home. And they were so grateful that we were able to get him into a home and they were willing to take a discount knowing, hey, we'd rather take a discount than wait six months to get this property sold or even three months or even a week. You know, they need the money in a week type idea. And uh, you're absolutely correct. There's, there's, a, there's a huge service to cash to liquidate something. And if you think about it, in any market, if I'm selling a business and, and I'm a minority shareholder or I need to sell quickly, I take a discount knowing, hey, I'm taking a discount to get my cash today versus waiting six months or a year to get my cash. I'm willingly wanting to take a discount because I know there's an exchange for fast cash. So absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, what are, let, let's transition from this because I think we do have uh, quite a bit of our audiences already in the investing world. They, they understand what we're talking about. Let's transition to where you are today with, with do hard money and, and talk about hard money for a little bit because, you know, I, I've only had one other hard money lender on here and I kind of wanted to dive into the, that <laughs> aspect of the business. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Yeah, let me, I just kind of circle back one thing. I don't, um, I, I love real estate agents, right? So I don't want anybody to take this saying, I am an agent, you know, my wife's a broker. We love real estate agents, listing properties and everything else. Like there's a huge, there's a huge need for that. Um, so this is not to say, how do you kick your agent out of the equation? We, we believe agents need to be involved with the resale of every property that's out there. Um, just relying and delegating your financial success to them is not what you want to do. So anyway, I just wanted to hit that. My, my partner, one office over, Cassie is a licensed realtor. My business partner in Arizona is a licensed realtor. We have a licensed realtor in Alabama. We have one in Hawaii that, that are a part of our business. I love realtors too. Yeah. If you're seeing yeah, absolutely. Uh, I only <laughs> want realtors to get super upset if this makes this video go viral. Otherwise, don't get mad at us, okay? Yeah, so, exactly. So yeah, but I, I do think agents can transition to becoming investors. Um, you asked about that, but I think um, I call it become your own best customer. 
Um, and the way you become your MBUS customer is learning how to market, taking those deals. And then some of those deals you may list because there's none of margin, other deals, then you can, um, you know, make a deal and buy it and do that type of stuff. So I have a thing called become your own best customer is for real estate agents to do that. So yes, I think that can happen. And I think there's huge opportunity and I think you should, I think you're leaving so much opportunity there if you don't become your own best customer. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I actually, right before this interview, um, just got off the phone with one of my good friends um, here in DFW. She's a licensed realtor. Um, and it's so funny because she just brought me a deal. <laughs> As I'm sitting here saying, getting deals from realtors is not a good thing. <laughs> she just brought me a smoking deal. Um, it happens, and I thought she was calling me about that. Moon. Right, right. I thought she was calling me about that, but she was actually calling about a deal that she was keeping herself. And mm. she was like, hey, I've never taken out a hard money loan. Um, I got sent the terms. Is this what it's supposed to look like? And she said, I know I could call you because you wouldn't get mad that I'm keeping this deal for myself. And I said, no, I'm, I've been telling you for years, you should be doing stuff yourself. Like, yeah, why not? And so anyways, let's transition to the hard money. <laughs> why, why do you think hard money is a good strategy to source capital for investors? Yeah. I think it, the first conversation really needs to be the spectrum of money, right? There's all these different types of money that's out there and hard money is not the solution for every single deal that's out there. You know, so let's be really clear with that. On this end of the spectrum, you've got your conventional financing. You go to the bank, go to Chase or whatever, and they give you like a traditional deal, a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type of a thing. On this end of the spectrum, you're dealing with a strictly asset-based lender. We lend on the property and don't care about anything else. And then you've got soft money. You've got everything in between here. Um, you've got hedge funds coming in that are, you know, saying they're hard money lenders where they really want to income qualify and that type of stuff. So you've got this whole spectrum out there. One where I think hard money becomes most useful is if your credit is not in great shape, if you don't have a great income or stability on income, there, there's a lot of what I'm going to call soft lenders that are requiring 20% down, really good credit, and they want to have experience. And if you've got that, um, then you can get kind of this soft money type idea. What I consider hard money is strictly asset-based lending. We lend based upon the asset, don't care about anything else. We don't care if you have a job. We don't care if your credit's horrible. We don't care about anything unless it's going to affect the property. Um, so for someone like us, we're, a hard, we're strictly a hard money lender. We, as long as you don't, we, we, check, we want to check criminal backgrounds to make sure you don't defraud the government or something like that. Um, we want to make sure you don't have any tax liens or judgments that are going to attach to the property. But beyond that, we don't care if your credit sucks. Um, we care that there's value in the property and we're going to stringently look at the value in the property, make sure there's value because that's really our collateral. We don't care if you have a job. We don't care if you have, um, you know, credit problems or whatever the case is. And so I like that because I like helping people to give them a hand up. Um, but, but that's the type of thing. The more you move up the spectrum, the more they're going to care about your job, your debt to income, your money down, you know, those types of things. Also, as you move up this spectrum, it's going to cost less. So down here, it's going to cost the most, and up here, it's going to cost the less, the least. So you're going to have this spectrum of, of what you're going to be charged for that. So um, in the areas where we're at, you're going to pay quite a bit because um, you're getting so much for that. And the more you can put down and the better, you know, a fully underwritten file, you're going to pay a lot less. But with your experience as a hard money lender and also with all the other experience that you have, 
where are you seeing people utilizing hard money the best? Like what, how are they doing it most efficiently and successfully? Yeah. So I think when you're new, utilizing hard money is um, critical to your success. So getting hard money because you're going to have a hard time getting cheaper money or softer money or those types of things if you're, if you're new. If you're just getting started, a hard money lender is going to help you in two ways. They're going to get you money that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get. And then they're also going to be screening that deal to make sure there really is value in that deal. Um, if you put in 20% down and, and you've got decent credit, a lot of those lenders are not concerned about um, if, if there's value in the deal. They'll let you do a break-even deal and, and you know that type of stuff. Whereas a hard money lender, like we're really at risk. If you're not putting up a lot of cash, all of our cash is at risk. So we're kind of your last line of defense in that type of situation. So I think for newbies, it makes a lot of sense to do that. And then I think anytime you need speed, if you need stuff quickly, you're going to want to use a hard money lender. And if you're dealing with, if you have any blemishes on yourself, you're going to want to use a hard money lender. So uh, any of those things is where a hard money lender is going to come into the equation. Now, if you're you know, doing a bunch of deals and you've got a lot of experience and you can put money down and those types of things, you could start using some soft money, getting money from hedge funds and those things, or you can start establishing relationships with private individuals and using private capital to do deals as well. So there's lots of options there, but then your guy may run out of money or whoever you're working with may run out of money. And it's like, well, let's call old reliable Mr. Hard Money Lender that's asset based and let's close on this thing. Um, so, so there's, there's, it's, I look at it as tools in your tool belt and you got to make sure you use the right tool for the right job. Well, and you brought up a really good point that, and I don't even think that this is just for, for newer individuals in the fact that when you get a property under contract and you send it to a hard money lender, as the hard money lender, you are viewing that property as if you eventually will own that asset if things go bad, correct? Absolutely. And so that's where this becomes like you're almost a member of my team. Like you're yeah. telling me if I got a good deal or not. You, like you said, you're the last line of defense. Like obviously as a company, we all decided, okay, we got a good one. Let's get it under contract. Okay, we get it under contract. If you have a realtor or whoever you're getting your comps from has told you they think it's a good deal, contractors have looked at it and told you they think now you're coming in as the money person, the person who's going to stroke the check saying, hold on now. Did you really look at this? Because, you know, in certain scenarios where, I mean, like, you know, yesterday I was analyzing a deal and I mean, I was, I was beating my head against the wall because I'm going, we're a three bedroom, three bath house, which is a little bit odd. All of the comps were four bedroom, four bath house, which is even more odd in my opinion. And I'm like, this is a big difference. Having an all, if all of the comps are having an additional bedroom and bathroom, I don't know if I feel comfortable going in and risking $400,000 on this deal. Like I don't have one property that looks just like mine that has sold. I think yeah. I'm going to walk away from it. And that's kind of what a hard money lender does. So Talk about that real quick. Kind of what is y'all's due diligence process and how would you yeah. communicate that back to a borrower? Yeah, and, and I hate to be the guy that has to make that phone call and say, you know what, I don't know if this is a good deal. Have you looked at these things? Because as, as an investor, it's easy to get emotional. And that's kind of one of the keys to being a good investor is never get emotional 
Um, and we find it's really easy to spend the money before you even make it. You know, I'm going to make 20 grand on this and I already booked, you know, tickets to, to the <laughs> Disney cruise or whatever, you know, and they're like already put it on the credit card when we call them back. As far as the due diligence, one of the things we do because we are, um, don't care about the income and the credit and those types of things, we get two opinions of value. Um, so, and we compare those against each other. So we want to have, um, eight, we'll work with agents, brokers, appraisers that live, work and play in the area, know the marketplace. We require two opinions of value for, they go to the property. They're providing three to four active comps, three to four sold comps, rendering an opinion of value based upon the scope of work the borrower provides to us. So the borrower says, here's all the work I'm going to do the property. So they give us that. We have our project managers vet that and help them make sure that it's in line. So we have project managers that are territorial based um, that work with the contractors there directly and they say you know what you're not going to paint the whole house for $300 you know this is going to cost two grand so they help they help them with that as well we also have a software that can do that you can say I want to paint this house it's 2000 it'll say this is what it's going to cost it, um, in materials and labor and, and we get local uh, contractor prices monthly so you can do that and then we have a project manager that talks with you and then we take it to the evaluations team where we get two people to go into the property based upon that work and they come back independent of each other they never see or talk to each other and they don't know what the borrower thinks it's worth and then we come back to the borrower and say okay based upon the work you're planning to doing here's the values we got back here's the reports here's all the comps here's everything man this doesn't look like it's that great of a deal based upon this and it's really easy to overlook comparables like you're saying I hate adjustments you know it's like what type of an adjustment do you make for this house to have one less bedroom and one less bathroom well I don't know because you might not even be in the same buyers bracket of people you know that you might have to value it so much less um, I once bought a property I tell the story quite frequently across from a Burger King well I was kind of kitty corner from a Burger King but in a good neighborhood but it was a couple doors down and I I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd take 15 grand less to live, you know, a house near Burger King. You can't underprice a house to get a guy to live near Burger King. Like, you got to find somebody that loves, you know, loves the king and wants to smell Whoppers at 9 a.m. <laughs> and it's really hard to adjust values based upon that. So, deal situation, say, my house, there's three other houses right across the street. They all just sold, same bedroom, same bathrooms. That's an easy comp, um, especially when you're dealing with like Chicago and some of these neighborhoods where this side of the street, this block is 100,000 less than this block. And if you cross these natural barriers, and if you don't know these natural barriers, you can get yourself in trouble. And so our local professionals are in the area and say, that street's bad and that street's good. Why? I don't know, but this is a line that you do not cross. And so if you're pulling comps from the wrong side of the tracks, you can get yourself in trouble and it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm in a deal right now in Virginia where we're in this little pocket of areas that sucks and we made a mistake and got comps from outside and it's a $100,000 difference in, in what those values are. So those situations happen. They happen a lot less the more people you get to the table. If you think it's a good deal and your contractor thinks it's a good deal and our evaluators think it's a good deal and our underwriting team gives them the thumbs up, 99% of the time you're going to end up making some money on this deal. It may not be exactly what you want, but you're getting multiple checks, checkbox off there. The downside is, is sometimes we have to come back and say, this isn't a good deal and I'm really sorry, right. um, but you don't want to get in trouble with this. And here's the thing about that. Sometimes it, the best thing that you can do is say no and walk away from a deal. You know, I, I think the, the saying that I've seen recently is, you know, yes, got me here. No, will get me where I want to go. 
Um, wow, I love that. Yeah, and we're just dropping the lines today, getting a good close <laughs> in. So, but you know, I recently we were looking at a deal, and it, like you said, adjustments. Let, real quick, like let's get a little granular on that. What we're talking about there is, is you know, on a on an appraisal, there could be adjustments for, uh, you know, less bedrooms or bathrooms, or having a swimming pool or square footage discrepancies, things that are just different. And, and appraisers make it really simple, you know? I mean, it's like, they'll go out and say, hey, this comp had a pool, you don't. So you lose $20,000 off your value, okay? Well, that might not actually be the case. And so that was the scenario that we were looking at was our house is probably four houses down and there's a comp that just sold same floor plan, bedrooms, bathrooms, but it has a very odd backyard that didn't have a privacy fence, but backed up to a green belt. Our backyard has a privacy fence and a swimming pool. Okay, so where I want the ARV, we're off by $45,000. Hmm. And I'm like, well, does us having a swimming pool and having a natural privacy fence and an actual backyard make up $45,000? Like, would who would be willing to pay $45,000 more to have a pool and an actual backyard? Do I take that risk? Do I make that? That's where you're stepping in and saying, do I make this decision to do this or do I say no and walk away from the deal? Now, I'll tell you what I did do. I went in and I said, okay, we're now going to reanalyze this deal where our ARV is no longer where we wanted it to be, but it's where that property sold. And we're going to go into it thinking to ourselves that we're probably going to be able to get more than that. But worst case scenario, that we know we can sell it for that because that's where that comp sold. And we're just going to hope that at the end of the day, the pool and the backyard gives us more value, but we're not going to count on it. And so that's where we ended up with that deal. And so it's very important that you, you scrutinize your deals that much and pay attention to those, to those little things. Cause like you said, man, that deal in, in Virginia, I mean, I'm sure now looking back at it, you know, the specific details that y'all kind of overlooked that if you had just spent a little bit more time and I'll be honest with you, like my partner, I love her to death. And she kind of got on to me. She's like, RJ, you're overthinking this. We just got to get going on. And I kind of got on to her. I was like, no, like we're making a decision right now for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like what, there's nothing more important than that right now to this moment. I'm going to take as long as I feel like I need to take to make this decision. And if it takes me all damn day, I'm going to take all damn day to figure this out. You know, absolutely. So on the deal in Virginia, what, without going into too many details, what was some of the things that maybe y'all missed or overlooked that you could now looking back, you could have noticed? Well, I mean, it really, the, the first thing it comes down to, um, we think there was some collusion with the borrower with um, the evaluator. So we, we have some potential fraud situation there. So that's really hard to avoid. I mean, we do everything we can to avoid that. We don't let our borrower talk to our evaluators and some of those types of things. So we actually think that's the case as we've gone back and relooked at it. But the, the what they did to enable that to happen is they crossed a natural barrier. 
there is a barrier that on this side of the tracks, houses are more, and on that side of the tracks, there are less. And because it's just this little pocket, it's really, um, it's an anomaly. I haven't dealt with this before, but there's this anomaly where there's this little pocket, everything around it's good, this is bad, this is bad. And so, you know, we got ourselves in trouble there. Uh, but the approach you took is exactly how we look at things. We're always going to say, what's the worst case scenario? And we're going to use that. And if you end up getting more, fantastic. But we're going to always underwrite on a worst case scenario. Now, other lenders, if, they, if you're putting a bunch of money down, they're not going to underwrite on a worst case scenario. They may you know, use, use whatever the appraisal came in at, not worried about the, the backyard, the pool situation, everything else, because they know you've got enough money and you've got good credit and they can come after you and sue you and take other assets you have. And you've already put 20% down and all, you've got experience and all those types of things. That's how they offset their risk where the only risk I have to offset is that property because you may or may not have a great job and you know any of those types of things so I got to make sure that property's solid um, and we always say what's the worst case scenario on this and based upon that worst case scenario and sometimes um, you'll have a borrower that's uh, a little frustrated because they're like well there's a really good comp over here and I call that falling in love with comparables you know you don't fall in love with one property you got to have three solid properties so we're going to use the lowest three sold and the lowest three active that are like properties within the mile, we're going to use the three lowest. Um, yeah. And so that period, so there may be some higher and you may sell for more and that would be fantastic, but we're always going to underwrite to the three lowest. And, and when you're doing that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the rehabber or the wholesaler. Like I, I know we've really taught today about, you know, flipping houses and borrower, being the borrower and things like that. But when you're the wholesaler, like you need to be analyzing deals the same way as if you are the one that is putting your name on the line for this loan, win, lose, or draw, this is what you are going to owe everybody and, and analyzing the ARV correctly because more often than not, man, I mean, it's just become such a, a frustrating thing. And, it, you know, I've even been accused of it as well because it's just like there's there's not really like a direct science to how you can evaluate what someone is going to be willing to pay for a property three to six months, right? And yeah. that's what we have to realize, right? Like as much as we want to say this house will for sure, for sure sell for $200,000, no, not until someone comes along and says they're willing to pay you $200,000 for that house, no matter what it's comps or anything you look at. And so- just be conservative when it comes to this. It's very important, especially if you're going to be actually flipping a house. Yeah, so. there's definitely an art and a science, right? You're, you're exactly right. The, the science is the comps, the locations, how far away, you know, blah. The art then is you put the buyer's hat on, not the seller's hat. And you say, you see that property that just sold or is on the market? Would I rather have that or the one I'm going to do? But you've got to look at objectively like, well, that lot's better and this is better. Well, then mine's probably going to sell for a little worse. Well, what about that one? Well, you know, that one has a batter backer. Well, mine's probably going to sell for a little less than that. You've got to look at this objectively and work on a worst case scenario. If it becomes a best case scenario, fantastic, but never work towards a best case scenario. Always plan on a worst case scenario and hope for a best case scenario. Going back to my story about the pool, this will be the last I talk about this. But <laughs> no, we, no, no. <laughs> but when we came back to the office, we pulled a CMA, um, which is comps. We pulled comps on uh, all of the properties in that subdivision that had sold recently that had pools. 
And what that showed us was, is they were all similar in square footage, bed, bath count. We were good there. Um, and if we just took that information, we would have been like, we're being way too conservative. We're going to sell for $50,000 higher. Okay. But what we did do is we went and looked at pictures of every single pool. Okay. And these pools blew our pool away. I mean, we're talking about outdoor kitchen. We've got, you know, slides and, you know, all this cool stuff going on. And our pool is just a generic, like, it's, it's a good pool, but it, it's just normal. Like, there's nothing yeah. added bonus to it. And so that's what made us go back to that decision of, let's just be conservative. And let's just lower the ARV down. And if something better happens, then it happens. So that's a bit, you know, I, I know that's kind of a little bit of a tangent on today's episode. But I think it's very important for anybody that's looking to flip houses that you realize how important this is. And this is coming from guys, you know, I, I'm also in deals where I've, uh, overestimated what we thought we were going to sell him right now. Same thing with Ryan. He's in the same spot. So this is coming from experience. That's why we're talking about this saying, please don't duplicate those mistakes. Well, and I think we talked a little bit about delegating your financial success to an agent. I think this is another realm where that happens, where um, a, a newbie or a borrower, or even experienced guy, just takes what the agent tells him. This is what I'm going to be able to sell it for and just goes with it. And even an experienced agent and even somebody that you have a relationship with, you know, even those guys are going to make mistakes and overlook things because they're excited about their commission. And so you've got to be able to know how to comp properties yourself. Right. Um, you can't just take what the agent says. You can't, even if they're good friends or whatever, you've got to be able to know how that, you've got to learn that skill set yourself and learn how to do that objectively if you're going to have success. I mean, we're able to do that as a lender for you. So we're able to take that off the table a little bit. Um, but you, in doing that, you'll learn this isn't a good deal. Come okay, next time I make that mistake. So it's going to be a learning process. You're going to bring several deals to us before you get one that works um, because you're going to have to go through a learning curve if you're new, especially. All right, buddy. Well, we, uh, I have taken up far too much of your time. We've gone over our lap side. <laughs> uh, final words and the best way for people to connect with you and, and follow you. Yeah. I, uh, final words for me is um, go out and take some calculated risk. Go out there. You've probably driven by a hundred houses that you could pick up. Go knock on somebody's door. Um, go, you know, utilize some software. Go, you know, read the book. Like take, what's the next step for you to go make your business more successful? That may be your first deal or your 10th deal. Like what's the next step to help you draw closer to the success and take that calculated risk in moving forward? Um, that's the thing I see most people is they're in analysis paralysis and they don't make a calculated step to the next profitable move that they should take. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm a very conservative investor. I'm saying what's the next calculated step you can take that'll move you towards a higher degree of profitability? Maybe hiring somebody or maybe knocking on your first door to say, are you interested in selling for a house that the weeds have grown too high that you drive by every single night? You're probably driving by it right now while you're listening to us on your way home <laughs> from work. Stop the car, walk over and knock and say, I'm interested in buying your house. Like do that. So you'll learn so much because each time you take the step, you learn and then the next step becomes a better step. And that's the continual process of iteration. And that's when you start becoming more and more successful as you, as you work down the journey. Awesome, man. What's the best way for people to follow you or connect with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can come to our website, dohardmoney.com, D-O-H-R-D-M-O-N-A-Y.com. We set up a free book for your listeners. Um, so if you go to dohardmoney.com backslash the-titanium-vault, um, and you can download uh, a book, How to Get More Money You Can Never Handle, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Funding Deals. Sales on Amazon, Barnes & Noble for 20 bucks. You guys can get the e-copy um, for being uh, RJ's listeners. Awesome, man. I'll make sure to put that in the, the notes on this episode. And uh, Ryan, thank you so much for sitting down with us today, sharing all your knowledge, uh, 20 plus years knowledge in this industry. Uh, he's short sell expert, been a, real, a realtor, uh, lender across the board. I mean, I, I think I'm probably missing like 10 different things. That he's, he's an author. Uh, he's, he's spoken to Bank of America and the Recaptivate. Co- I mean, he, he's just done everything. So uh, thanks so much for sitting down with us. And uh, again, like I said, you dropped like one of the top five best quotes in the, the podcast history. So <laughs> thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the time. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.